Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense, Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Blog Talk Radio. Tonight, we'll go back in time to seasons past, when 22 men graced the record fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score, which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to gridiron greats, football history of memorabilia, and the gridiron greats fellowship and broadcasting network, in conjunction with Swick Enterprises, and we're live. From the South Fork, North Carolina home, Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We'll cover 150 plus years of football history and memorabilia. Find us on the web at gridirongreatsmagazine.com. It is at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host, the senior contributing writer to Good English Magazine, a football member of the specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawks items, in particular Steve Larger. He hails from Portland, Oregon. Mr. Joe Squires, welcome to the show this evening. I love it. Great to be back. Uh, great, great to be back, Bob. Great to hear your uh, your your football in, intro. Love it. And welcome back, Joe. And before we get started, I um, I have a somewhat a sad piece of news to announce. Um, not all our listeners will know this person, but I I felt compelled to uh, say it on on the air. Um, Long time uh, paper and sports memorabilia dealer from Connecticut, Ed Ransom who owned Memories by Paper, very, very active in the New England show circuit, passed away this past week. He was 84. I knew Ed for probably 30 years in the business, beginning in the late 80s. And uh, I haven't talked to him in quite a few years. I knew um, he pretty much got out of out of the business about five, six years ago completely. Uh, he had incredible uh, actual paper, newspapers, things of that nature, historical documents, not just sports stuff, but he was very, very active in the sports uh, hobby in the show circuit, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and in New York. So our condolences to the Ransom family. Talk about a pretty big issue of GG, number 76, which just came out. <laughs> and I, I have, I've been kind of... Um, in a way, taken back by the amount of comments, critiques hmm. I've got over a few things. And in particular, I'm going to lead off by talking about John Spano's article and his new column that he is going to be writing each issue uh, from behind yeah. the table. And uh, very, very, very interesting comments. I would say 100% of people I've talked to about it agree with literally everything he said in his column. And yeah. uh, it's a nice reaction, nice reaction to get 
your thoughts, comments, views of that column. You know, Spano, just a longtime friend, amazing writer. He and I have written a couple of uh, articles for GG together. Um, and, and just love the guy to death. And just the uh, insight he's had setting up as, you know, MSP, BST over the years. A lot of times with a, you know, the gridiron greats and a John Adams or a, uh, Josh Adams cards, you know, set up on either end flanking mm-hmm. them. Uh, the couch coming in, just John has – you know, between him and Andy, just the, the experience, uh, you know, a decade of setting up shows and probably longer than that walking shows. Um, and uh, it was just, it was really good. I mean, I, I wish we could have him on the show more often as a guest, but I, I know you don't like his accent. You found it to be very unbecoming. So, uh, <laughs> but. The, 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 the key, the key to what John wrote about, in my opinion, and I, and I think this is, this pretty much summarizes it. There has to be in any type of transaction satisfaction on both sides. For example, your business, you can't do a job for nothing and then be satisfied at the end of the job when you're losing money on your, your you know, parts you're using, your labor, so on and so forth. So if we apply the same theory to sports memorabilia, the dealer and the collector or the other dealer who's buying the material has both have to be satisfied. And there has to be some reasonableness as far as pricing is concerned. I think, you know, my honest opinion, going back to shows in the late eighties and early nineties was beat up the dealer as much as you possibly could yep. get anything and anything you could get as cheap as possible. And then, and then claim victory when you walked out of the show. Yeah. And I don't, I don't like that. I mean, it doesn't really make sense. I, don't, I really don't think, especially when people go to a national sports collector's convention, they don't realize how much a dealer is spending to set up there, to stay yeah. there, for food, for, for all the different components that go into setting up at a show. Right. And Great point. Your, cost, your cost of inventory on top of it. So now you got you're bringing let's say you bring five thousand dollars worth of inventory to your show. Do you want to sell it for two thousand dollars just to satisfy people that say, okay, you know, we got to beat you up and we got to make money. You know, we want to make money off of you, so we're not going to give you in any way, shape, or form value for what you have. It doesn't work that way. It really doesn't work that way. So it's a it's an issue, and I think John eloquently really, you know told it like it was and like it is. Yep. And I, hopefully somebody, you know, if we change one person and make them think a little differently when they go to a show, I think, it, you know, it's, it's done its job. It's done a pur- its purpose. So uh, I applaud him. I couldn't agree more. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I know people who I used to, you know, hang out with a guy, who, who, not hang out, excuse me, used to know a guy in, the PSA boards back when I was, who was ex-military who considered every transaction like a military encounter. He's like, you know, I, you know, I have to win. I have to buy it at the lowest and yeah. sell it at the highest. And yep. I, I swooped several deals from him simply because I was fair and nice. Uh, and yep. I'd, I'd much rather have that reputation than being the person who beats it up, beats, beats up a dealer. But you're spot on. It's a lot of costs. Uh, not the cost to go there, the drive, the hotel room, the food, that doesn't even take into account, you know, the nine or 10 hours of standing on your feet, you know, you know, talking to customers. It, it's an ordeal. Uh, it must be exhausting. You've, you've sat up at shows, Bob. I've, I've just walked them. I mean, I, I'm, I'm tired of yep. walking them. But, yeah. I mean, uh, I've been doing, but, I did my first show basically in 1987 and I've been doing them ever since, except for the past few year, couple of years with no shows going on. But, you know, people don't realize what's actually involved. I'm, I'm prepping now for the National Atlantic City, and it's, and it's just turning into a logistics nightmare for me for the simple reason i got to get there. It's a much longer ride from here than it was from Connecticut. But more importantly, I'm, I'm astounded at seeing the hotel rates and how high they went up since the last National Atlantic City. I mean, you're looking at some places are yeah. four or five hundred dollars a night for a hotel. So, I mean, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. So, uh, you know, again, I look at the national more so as a social event for me. Meeting, you know, all the 
friends and dealer friends I've made over the years. But at the same time, people who are trying to do this for a living, I really feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we also, getting back to the magazine, getting back to the magazine, we also uh, got a lot of great feedback on your article because I know I I had two people in particular saying that they love reading about oddball football sets. They want to see more of that. And I said, uh, we're working on it for future issues, yep. and uh, hopefully we'll satisfy our Agree. Yeah. Agree. You and I can fill an entire 60-minute show talking about John Spano, but, you know, we got to move on. Um, uh, yeah, you're, I literally read the entire Gridiron Greats laying in bed, you know, but, you know, before, you know, falling asleep, you know, with my wife, <laughs> and I read it stem to stern, and I turned around and I'm like, this was probably one of the best Gridiron Greats I've ever read, every article was good uh you know your intro i always love reading your intro uh the forest greg uh number 75 writing a wrong was incredible just and what a what a nod to an amazing coach amazing player uh forest greg the martin martin jacobs always writes an amazing article his 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 uh, article on john madden i learned so much about madden uh and just Mm -hmm. what a what a great representation of football, you know, Madden was and has been. I mean, and, uh, you know, tip of the hat to Martin for writing that. Uh, Darrow, your premium article was great. I mean, front to back, it was awesome. I mean, I, I loved my article, uh, you know, and I, I remember sending to him, like, this is going to be fun. I have just the right amount of fun in here and et cetera. And I was like, man, I'm like the third best article in this magazine. <laughs> <laughs> it was stacked. It was stacked, Captain. It was good. Uh, no, that was that was a good article because I I personally did not know a lot about that set. Uh, like I said to you before, I never even seen one in a show before. In you know, I've only seen pictures of the the cards. I've never seen a card in person. So, anyways, it was it was a great great article. We also want to touch a little bit about a few auctions, and, and you're going to fill us in on that now. Yeah, uh, a couple auctions firing off right now. Heritage is in what I refer to as the perpetual auction going off. Um, some really interesting stuff. Uh, boy, is it, is it just me or does it seem like Heritage has always just got the anyways. Oh, there anyways. Yeah, uh, some a huge collection of Super Bowl rings from you know early Super Bowls on to you know, you know on to recent ones. They've got a, a Seattle Seahawks Super Bowl forty eight ring in there that I'm uh, you know I got an early ping on you know and watching and I'm like man I would. Your favorite team and your one Super Bowl win, man, I would love a ring yep. for that. But how much? How much do you want to drop on that nostalgia? Um, and then uh, Memory Lane, Memory Lane popped on an auction about a week ago. Uh, opened it up. That is incredible. It's got some incredibly high end. I don't know whose collection this was. Uh, I, I asked somebody and they knew them. Uh, apparently, it's somebody who passed away from COVID, who uh, you know early on in the you know pandemic, but. There's a 1948 Leaf baseball wax pack, one of one. I mean, just wow, 48. Wow. I have forever been looking for a 48 Leaf ba- uh, football pack, uh, and apparently for, for, I've never seen one. And apparently the baseball is just as as rare. Uh, I don't like to talk about that little white ball that they throw and hit with a stick very often, but uh, this memory lane auction was is deserving of a nod. I mean, a PSA 833 Gaudi set. That is just incredible. It's uh, it's it's auction porn for sure. But what an amazing auction! Uh, just some incredible stuff. Amazing, amazing things that are available, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot more coming to the market over the next year or two. Uh, again, as older collectors retire or pass, those pieces have to be handed down in the hobby. We need new collectors to continue to collect. And again, the only way we can great, you know, bring new collectors into the hobby, we have to educate them, we have to help them, we have to nurture them. And uh, again, I hope, uh, I, I, and I know we do, we do that in our small group in our small area yes. of the hobby, especially when it comes to football. So it's it's important. It's very important. But uh, again, hats off to everybody who contributed to this past issue of Gridiron Greats magazine. Martin Jacobs and I, uh, you know, have go back quite a few years 
I appreciate everything Martin's done for the for the magazine, and yeah. uh, God, we got a very dedicated staff. And again, uh, I am not becoming a millionaire by publishing Gridiron Greats magazine. I tell people that all the time. Yeah. It's uh, it's a costly endeavor. It's an endeavor of the hobby. That's the way I look at it. All right, our special guest is here tonight, and I'd like to welcome him to the show. He was last on our show on July 16th, 2020, and he was also the super collector in Gridiron Greats Magazine, issue number 71. He's a math teacher at a community college in southern Kentucky where he lives with his wife, Jennifer, and with whom he shares four children and two grandchildren. In his spare time, he's an avid amateur photographer and enjoys reading, writing, and playing games. He's been a sports fan all his life and became interested in the NFL after college when he took a job as a reporter at a newspaper in Georgetown, Kentucky, where the Cincinnati Bengals were holding training camp at the time. He covered the Bengals camp that summer and got involved in the fantasy football league with some friends at the newspaper. And it's all forward from there. I'd like to welcome Mr. Jason Dewey. Jason, welcome back to the show. Thanks, guys. How's it going? Can you hear me? We're good. Yep. Doing very good, Jason. Welcome back, sir. Oh, thanks a lot. Uh, it's great to be back. Uh, always enjoy talking to you guys. Jason, if you can fill in our audience again, how did you become interested in uh, football and in collecting? Well, so when I was a kid, um, I started collecting um, baseball cards uh, with my little brother, and uh, we collected. Uh, I'm from Southern Kentucky. I've lived here all my life, and our favorite team was the Cincinnati Reds. So we collected Reds cards, and then when I went off to college, I kind of dropped out of it, moved on to other hobbies and so on. And then um, two or three years ago, a friend of mine uh, who owned a, a gaming store, uh, someone came in and wanted to sell a couple of Tom Brady rookie cards, and he bought them for little or nothing at the time uh, and gave them to me as a birthday present because he knew I was a big uh, NFL yeah. fan, and that sort of sparked my interest again. And so I started collecting then, and uh, that's been two or three years now. That that was in Kentucky or in where, where was that at? Uh, in Kentucky, yeah, oh, uh, close by where I live. Yeah. Oh, very cool. That's uh, very thoughtful. Yeah, um, I mean, like at the time, the cards were, you know, fifteen twenty bucks. So, you know, that was before uh, COVID, obviously, and before really the prices exploded on everything yeah. Tom Brady. But you know. Yeah. So it was just fortuitous. You know what? It takes one kind kind gesture like that to kickstart someone back into collecting. My my sister gave me an autographed Steve Largent uh, '89 Pacific card, and uh, uh, you know, and it, it, you know, for Christmas in 1999, and it, it, it drug me right back into it. It was a very thoughtful, very kind gift. Really, really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and Jason, you could also Jason, you could also look at thing that you have now um you have um a retirement fund with your brady cards that you got before you can look at <laughs> i have a lot of tom brady cards um, i'm up to uh, 12 rookie cards and almost 1500 uh, different cards of brady at this oh, point okay. so I, I have quite a hold few um, hold on hold on there jason when you say tom brady rookie card there's about about a hundred of them that uh, raise their hand and stake that claim. Uh, what do you consider to be the Tom Brady rookie card? Um, I probably like, like my favorite one that I have is uh, the Bowman and the Bowman Chrome is sort of my dream card, but the prices on it have gotten so much higher, even since I started collecting that I don't know that that's ever going to be in my price range. Uh, I mean, the, like contenders and things like that are wildly popular, but I kind of am a, I, uh, there's some nostalgia in me for old tops cards, so I got to go with the Bowman. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, the Bowman Chrome seems to be the popular one. I, I, I Yeah, I like the Crown Royal. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But the, the SP seems to be, uh, <laughs> you know, seems to be the one uh, followed closely by the, uh, by the, by the Bowman Chrome. Yeah, well, like, there's only a few 
um, like the the Bowman and the Bowman Chrome and the SP and the Contenders are the only ones that have him in his Patriots uniform. Like all the others, he's in like a Georgia uniform or a Senior Bowl uniform or that kind of thing. So I guess that's why uh, those cards are particularly popular. Nice, nice. I, I mean, you, you gave a story of how you, you know, kind of got started. You know how how you came interested in football. How, how'd you how'd you get started? I mean, and the uh, you know specifically New England. I mean, because you know I, I collect oh. Seattle Seahawks because I'm from the Pacific Northwest here. Yeah. So when I was ten years old, um, the first professional football game I ever really watched. My dad was a football uh, a high school football coach. And uh, I watched sports with him all the time. Like, I remember watching The Miracle on Ice in 1980 when I was five uh, with my dad. And But the first game, football game I ever remember watching was the 1985 AFC Championship game uh, between the um, Patriots and the Dolphins. And the Patriots were, like, this total upstart at the time. And, you know, they were going to get – they got creamed in the Super Bowl two weeks later or whatever. But I just latched onto them as my, my, my team. The, the coach uh, that year – uh, was Raymond Barry, and I thought oh, wow. that was ten in my defense. I thought his name was Raymond Barry. I thought that was like his last name, like Strawberry, but Raymond Barry. Oh, and um, <laughs> so I had read this. I had actually read a book that was in. I was in fourth or fifth grade at the time, and there was a book in the library in my classroom called like Great Pass Receivers of the NFL or something like that. And it had a chapter about this Baltimore Colts player named Ray Barry. And I didn't know it was the same person for a long time. I, I thought that the Patriots coach was someone whose last name was Raymond Barry. So, um, huh. you know. No, I, but, I, I got to throw out. I got to throw out. I'm my sorry. Usual statement here. I got to throw out my usual statement here. Back in 1976, we used to drive to Schaefer Stadium the day of a game and actually purchase tickets, and we would go to the game. My mother would make us, my buddy and I, would make, uh, she would make us a few sandwiches and buy some soda, some chips. We'd eat in the car on the way up there, and uh, we'd go to the game, and we would try to be out by the third period because there was only one way into Schaefer Stadium and one way out. The traffic jams were incredible, and I'm talking like three, four-hour traffic jams. So uh, yeah. that, that was always my claim to fame with the Patriots and going to see a game up there. <laughs> to say, yeah, to well, say it was a challenge you know, was, 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 that was incredible. So. Yeah, you know, the Patriots were banned from Monday night football for a long time because the fans were so obnoxious on Monday nights. They caused so many disturbances that the police in, uh, in and around Foxborough, like, asked the NFL not to schedule them <laughs> on Monday night games. So. That was a, a different era, for I, sure. I didn't know that. Huh. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was at Schaefer Stadium, too, was all, um, it was like benches. There was no actual seats. There were some seats yeah, it was all close to the field. Yeah, it was, all, it was a ribbon bench. It was the hardest bench known to mankind you would sit on. If it was cold weather, it was even worse. It would, it would really, you know, basically freeze your butt when you would sit on the, on the, on the, uh, <laughs> the bench there. So... Uh, I remember many games. I re- in fact, I remember one preseason game we went to, August of 76. Uh, they played the Eagles. They, I don't think there was 5,000 people in the stadium, if that many. So we, were, we had nosebleed seats, and we just walked down, like, at the end of the first quarter. We were on the 50-yard line. It was pretty cool. And nobody bothered you back then, you know, that type of thing. Sure. And uh, that, was one, that was the first game we actually stayed late. And we said, oh, this isn't bad. You know, we got out of there a reasonable amount of time driving back home. But at the same time, we went to a game on a Sunday. And it was like, we didn't, you know, we left the stadium at 4 o'clock. We didn't get home until like midnight. You know, it was like an eight-hour drive home, which had only been yeah. like two and a half, three hours off the most. It was crazy. It was crazy. But, uh, yeah, good, good memories of uh, Schaefer Stadium and Foxborough there, <laughs> to say the least. Now, yeah, I, I've never been to the game. Oh, you never, oh, that's right. You've never been there, right? You've never been there, right? No, that's on my bucket okay. list. Um, uh, my son and I are planning to go to a game. We actually were going uh, to Foxborough uh, to visit uh, in the off season. We were going to go to the 
Hall of Fame, and then COVID happened, and so we had to cancel that trip. So that's been pushed back. We're still waiting on that, but one of these days we'll get up there. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. I have not been to the new stadium. I, my all my memories are in Schaefer Stadium, late mid late seventies into the early eighties, so when I stopped going there. So that's pretty cool. Now I, I know, Jason. We were talking beforehand uh, before we had you on. Um, you you've got into something slightly different, or you picked up some new items for your collection. Why don't you uh, expand on that and tell our audience about that? Well, I. I definitely have more Tampa Bay Buccaneers cards in my collection now than I did a couple of years ago um, with, you know, Brady and, and Gronk uh, going to Tampa. So that's been weird. I mean, you know, I, I, like, I feel like if you're a Patriots fan and you're mad at Tom Brady, you're doing it wrong. But it's definitely been weird to watch him play uh, in different colors, you know, uh, after – two decades uh, in, in New England. So that's been one thing that's changed a lot. And I've also, like, um, in the past couple of years, of course, the Patriots have almost completely, you know, there's been such a huge turnover in their roster. So, yeah. you know, there's been a lot of new players to some who stayed and some who didn't last as long. But I've started, uh, I've really added a lot of cards of, like, Cam Newton uh, to my collection, and, and I've been working on uh, Corey Dillon is, is another player who I've always had a soft spot for. When I was, you know, you mentioned in the intro, I was a reporter. I covered Bengals training camp in 2000. I was fresh out of college, basically, and had never done anything like that before. And Corey Dillon had kind of a, a reputation of being a kind of a curmudgeon. He didn't really like being <laughs> in Cincinnati, which, I mean, who can blame him, you know? But And he had been uh, the best Jason, player on a Jason, bad team. Jason, he was kicked out of Oregon, where I where I have a season ticket holder for punching a Boise State player after losing the season opener. I, I would yeah. I would say he's yeah I would say he's yeah that's not quite yeah and, but <laughs> he was really you know I I had to interview him after the um, a preseason game uh, an inter squad game in training camp and you know, the Bengals were terrible. Like, he was the best player by far on this awful team that was going clearly going nowhere. They had bad coaching. They had bad front office. And he was so kind to me and answered every question I had. Like, and really, like, that made me a fan, you know. Um, like, I respected him as a player, but he was just – there was, and there was, he didn't have to do that. You know, he, he didn't have to – this kid, uh, you know, it, and I'm sure I did about 10 million things wrong. But so I've always been a, a big Corey fan. I was, I was really happy for him when he got traded or paroled to New England or however you say that, you know. Hmm. I like the it. Bengals were, it. Or, the Bengals were a bad team for quite a period, quite a long time. And um, I can, I can see, you know, he, he added a lot of class to that team, and I think we, we briefly talked about it in the, la- the last time you were on, I, and I already said they could have really made it the team around him if they wanted to, but I think he had just had that preconceived um, persona about him that they didn't want to deal yeah. with him. So why do you have him on, why do you have him on the team for? I mean, those are, those are making sense to me, you know? He's a well, beast. He was gaining 15, 1,800 yards a year behind oh. terrible lines, like, and just getting pounded. And they weren't putting any talent around him. I mean, like Absolutely. I said, you couldn't really blame him for being miserable. Like, Yeah. Right, right. No, Corey Dell, I, I got – or excuse me, uh, you know, I got to I, – I he was amazing at Oregon. And I, just, I remember when he punched that, you know, that Boise State player. I was like, dang it, come on, dude, we needed you. So no, well, he he yeah he crushed it in New England. A good running back. Didn't um, didn't Legarrette Blunt do something like that in Oregon too? Oh shoot! Damn, oh man, my gosh, I, I absolutely screwed that up. I apologize. I'm okay. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm I didn't mean Legarrette Blunt. Yeah, I was like, no, I remember you're, a story about that about Legarrette Blunt. I do remember one about Dylan, but. No, I, I, I absolutely got that mixed up. I apologize, Jason. Uh, Corey Dillon was with uh, Washington State. 15-yard penalty for Joe, no. 
15 there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Corey Dillon confusion, was confusion State, on right? players. <laughs> Confute player confusion. College player confusion. Yeah. But I, yeah, I remember him tearing up Oregon. I mean, yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of Pac-12 running back history, I guess. Um, you're, I mean, you just mentioned a few things. You're, you're, you know, you're collecting other players. I mean, you know, you're, you know, you had a lot of Tampa, a lot of Tampa Bay player, you know, cards in the last year since Brady and Gronk switched over. I mean, is that the main changes in your collection? I mean, as, as things, you know, move along as your collection matures, what, what, what else are you doing? Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of the vintage and, and the, uh, like, I, I've filled out a lot of the sort of gaps I, I was missing the last time I talked to you guys. Um, like, I've pretty much finished all of the 60s run of Patriots from mainstream sets. So one thing I've started branching out into a little bit more is sort of oddball sets and, you know, the, like, regional issues and things like that. Um, I, I've kind of moved a little more into, like, 90s and 2000s. That's sort of been where my focus is on. For one thing, the prices of new product has just gone so high that it's almost just untenable, you know. Uh, like, I don't want to pay – a thousand dollars for a box of cards with you know twenty cards in it—it's absurd. Like, yeah, it's—I—I I don't know how it's a sustainable business model at this point. Uh, so, I, and I don't know how it corrects itself either. So it's—it's it's weird. A recession of some sort. Well, you know, <laughs> you know, I say this all the time. Last last fall when I when we came down here, I was buying packs at the local uh, big lots store here, and my my price point was first five dollars, then it went up to six dollars. Okay, so yeah. I see there they have packs of mosaic, whatever that is, for twelve dollars a pack. Now I'm in a cut rate retail store where people are looking for a bargain, who in the store who's shopping there is going to buy 12, spend $12 on a pack of cards? Conversely, how many people were actually buying the 5 and $6 packs of the, of the playoff or whatever brand it was that I bought from Panini? It seems like every week when I went back there, it's pretty much I was the only one buying anything because I saw all the same packs there and everything was, you know, the display was the same. They didn't, they weren't pushing. In other words, they weren't filling it to the, to the peak that they could and see it clean out by the end of the week. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I agree with you. It's a, it's a bad business model. And who is actually buying this stuff? I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. It really doesn't. It takes the fun out of opening a pack of cards, too. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's I agree. Crazy. I mean, you these more these higher end prices like Panini One, which I think is kind of a cool idea for a product where you get like one encased card and it's usually autographed or something like that. But you know, the price is like two years ago it was one hundred and fifty dollars for one yeah. card, which is a lot, which is absurd. But now it's six or seven hundred dollars. It's like what? <laughs> How can this be reasonable? Like, who who wants to open this pack at this point? So I I don't know. I, I you know, I guess it's working because they're not changing it. But we'll see. Yeah, gone are the days of you know walking down to the Seven Eleven with you know a dollar and you know buying four packs for a quarter. I mean, it's just it. it you know, Bob and I've talked about this in nauseum. I mean, it's just it, it drives uh, it. it drives the kids the future of the you know the hobby out of the market so yeah yeah it's I, there aren't any young people like i don't think it, it's it's really weird but, um for better or for worse um yeah uh that's your um your what what kind of eyeball sets i'm just curious collection with the, with the packs here? Um, so I've gotten kind of into stickers, like from the 80s and 90s of the old top sticker collections. Uh, I've picked up some of those. Um, 
like I got into for a while I was collecting like uh, I I've finished this up now but like I was getting uh, autographed photos from all the Super Bowl wins uh, for the Patriots but I guess I've got that I've got like uh, Malcolm Butler and I've got Vinatieri from 36 and Gronk from 51 and Belichick from 39 and so I've gotten you know I've, I've sort of moved to the like instead of just like buying cards to put in my albums I'm like working on like decorating my man cave and so on um that kind of thing that's been where my uh, interest has sort of gone especially in the past year like I said since the price explosion has really taken hold and not only has the like you were talking about like you can find cards at, at big lots uh, in the area where I live it's impossible to find cards at retail stores even if you wanted to pay the prices they're just not available and so you can't just like mm-hmm. go and buy cards to open for fun because you can't find them. And I, I don't know, it, it, it does take some of the fun out of the hobby that, you know, that excitement of opening something you haven't seen before. Like I'm kind of excited about, you know, Fanatics has bought the license to all the major sports leagues and has sort of promised to bring that part of collecting back as one of their goals. So I'm hoping they can do that and, you know, maybe that will be a thing in the future. But right now, it, it's really difficult. Yeah, I yeah, still totally. maintain that they should – I hope they come back with, like, a five-card pack for, like, a dollar or two in the dollar stores or in Walmarts and have the kids, you know – you know, it's an impulse buy and probably more adults yeah. buy it because it brings back memories. But at the same time, it generates sales and it generates interest in the habit. And I think that, you know, yeah, you, I'm not interested in spending – spending $12 on a mosaic pack of 10 cards. I think that's crazy. You know what I mean? So Sure. You know, the first pack, when I was um, in 1986, I bought the – I started collecting baseball cards because I was at at Kmart one day uh, with my uncle, and they had a a box of cards by the register, and I bought a pack for 35 cents, and that started like a 10-year hobby for me. But – now, I mean, what kid is like, I'm going to go into Walmart and buy this $20 blaster or $50 yeah. you know, mega box or whatever. Like, I, I don't, I don't know then, who those cards are being sold to, really. And then be shoved over by a bunch of adults who are running, you know, running, chasing after the top's delivery guy. Yeah, exactly. And, and then yeah. immediately yeah. trying to flip the packs online for three times a day, <laughs> which I don't begrudge anybody making money if if that's what they want to do but it's like why are you paying $150 for a pack that the the is worth 50 bucks at retail at MSRP you know it, it's just yeah. kind of it's strange yeah. the genie's yeah. out of the bottle with that one I'm afraid it's not going to yeah. go back in so well Jason yeah speaking of uh get it you know being lucky enough to you know buy wax packs cheap and you know, have, uh, you know, Tom Brady cards today is your lucky day. So I'd, uh, I'd swing by that Walmart and see if they've got some new, new boxes that they mispriced. Cause, uh, I put together a Joe quiz for you today. Okay. And if you're familiar with these, these are meant to be fun. They're meant to poke fun <laughs> oh, at, uh, your, yours and mine <laughs> respective favorite teams. And, right. uh, I love the Joe Ultimately, our goal is to get a laugh out of Bob. That's what we're here for. <laughs> All right. <laughs> See, right there. Okay, that's one. <laughs> All right. The Joe quiz. Question number one. And there are right answers here. So go with your gut, and I have the answer key right here, Jason. So. All right. All right. I'll do my best. Who, question number one. Who's the better coach? Pete Carroll at New England in 97 to 99 or Pete Carroll at Seattle 2010 to present? Um, well, I, I got to go with Pete Carroll in Seattle. Although I will say the years since Super Bowl 49 have not been uh, kind to him. So, you know, for whatever reason, um, I don't know. You know, I ask you a question. What, what do you think of uh, Russell era? 
for the for the Seahawks. Well, hey, Jason, when I come on your podcast, you can ask me questions. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> You know, I was talking, talking about talking about talking about Pete Carroll. I had the pleasure of watching him as coach of the Jets and as of the Patriots. Yeah. And to me, it was painful to say the least. <laughs> he was he was he was brutal. He was brutal with the New York media, which you know any coach in New York, you got to deal with the media. You just got to expect it. But yep. to hear him in New York, New York. And I mean, I and I used to, and I, you know, I, I used to read the New York Post Sports Daily for thirty plus years. They would just chew him up, beat him up, chew him up, spit him out, and then he goes to New England. On top of it, I mean, it, it was just comical. It was just comical. So in a way, I was happy. He went to the opposite coast. So I really wouldn't hear about him anymore, or I would only see him a few times a season on free games or whatever. But uh, yeah. yeah, that's a good comparison, Joe. To say the least. Yeah, and I, I, I ditto. I remember when we hired Carroll. I, you know, I'm again, I'm a Pac-12 guy. I'm an Oregon Ducks fan, so I'm very familiar with Pete Carroll at USC. Uh, you know, we play USC every year, and uh, I wasn't very happy with the hire in 2010. I remember I was like, "Dang it!" You know, uh, I mean, we had peak. You know, uh, you know, Bill Cowler was just let go. Chucky Dahl was out there. I mean, we had a lot of good coaches, and I was like, "Pete Carroll, come on!" The man delivered, so there he is. Well, yeah, okay. you know, it's weird. Uh, the, answer to that, oh, sorry. Uh, the answer to that question, by the way, Jason, was uh, Pete Carroll, head coach Seattle Seahawks, 2010 to present, is the better coach. <laughs> oh, good. So I got that one right. The, 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 ultimate, uh, the ultimate goal in this game is to win uh, Hoist Lombardi trophies over your head, and he did that. So there you go. Okay, question number two. Again, take your time here. Think this through. Uh, Super Bowl 49 MVP. We all know it was Tom Brady. But really, who should Super Bowl 49 MVP who should it who should it have been? A, Malcolm Butler or B, Pete Carroll for calling that slant pass? Well, I'm going to go like C. It should have been Marshawn Lynch because they should have just handed him the ball and he runs in and wins the game, right? Like so but it should have been after that. It should have been Tom Brady. Tom Brady was it was right, but you know uh, the MVP like, usually goes, usually goes to the winning team. I think there's been once where the losing team was the Super Bowl MVP, wasn't it? Chuck Howley. So yeah, right, uh, Super Bowl five. The, 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 the but, Patriots won this one, therefore they got the MVP. Their MVP was Tom Brady. But really, it's. Without Malcolm Butler intercepting, there is no win. There is no MVP. So should it have been Malcolm Butler as the MVP, or should it have been Pete Carroll for calling that slam pass? Well, it's true. Without Malcolm Butler, they don't win that game. But, like, they were down 10 at the beginning of that fourth quarter. Like, no one mentions this. Against the number one defense. Against the number one defense in the NFL. And at the time, no team had ever come back from 10 points at – after the first quarter to win the Super Bowl. And Brady just shredded the Legion of Boom for 15 minutes. So, uh, you know, if he doesn't do that, Malcolm Butler's irrelevant. You know, there's no yeah, choice to run the ball. They just that's why I've never been a fan of the pre- prevent defense. Okay, so the spirit of these questions is to have fun. Obviously, I'm poking fun at Pete Carroll for calling that slant. Right. Uh, yeah, not not very happy with that. All the think of all the memes that went around back when this happened. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll, like, you know, uh, I'd hand you these fries, but instead I'm going to throw them to you at the car, you know, through the car window, you know, kind right. of thing. <laughs> all right. Okay. Question number three again. We're having fun here. Question number three. The best outfit worn by Coach Belichick is it a his gray New England Patriots hoodie with sleeves, or is it B, his gray New England Patriots hoodie without sleeves, partially unzipped? <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's definitely B. It's remarkable that any coach can have the kind of success Belichick has had while dressed like a hobo, I got, I got to say. I, gotta go B. I couldn't agree more. When you've ho- hoisted as many Lombardi trophies as, uh, as Belichick has, and your nickname is Hoodie, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> Bob, 
Bob, what was Vince Lombardi's nick- nickname? What was his Win. nickname? <laughs> yeah. Did he have one? Not really. I mean, you know, really, but, he was called I mean, a lot of different that, things. But he was a well-dressed but, man on the sidelines. Absolutely. Something absolutely. that Bill Belichick really, you know, exhibits the um, – the uh, the the dress down look of the NFL, yes. and yep. uh, when he has his wife, the wife beater, no sleeve uh, hoodie on, uh, I think he's in his own zone. So I think he, yep. he coaches better with it, in my opinion. What was Lombardi's uh, nickname? It was winning. Winning was his nickname. <laughs> Super Bowl wins was his nickname. Championship. Winning. Vin, winning Vinny Champion was his nickname. <laughs> not hoodie alright which leads me to question number four Jason are you ready are you soaked I'm ready okay earlier <laughs> I uh, hinted that the ultimate goal of this game is to hoist a, tr- a championship trophy above your head Bill Belichick has done that more than any other coach in history so with that I lead into my question who is the best coach in NFL history is it A, Bill Belichick, or B, Vince Lombardi? Bob, you can chime in here if you want. <laughs> I mean, well, this is like tying two cat's tails together I'm and watching him fight. I love it. <laughs> I think, I, I I think we're going to say get Belichick the... because I think it's harder to win now. But, I mean, Lombardi – his, it's harder to have the kind of sustained success that Belichick has had over the last 20 years than it was during the Lombardi era. But what Lombardi did in Green Bay and then in Washington at the end of his career was truly remarkable too. So, I, you know, I, I mean, I at think, the end I of the day, it's hard. There's going to be coaches for all eras. I think the Martin Day era is definitely Belichick because he still finds ways to win. Uh, you could question some of his methods and mythology. That's going to be argued all the time. Lombardi was a true coach in the sense that he did it his way or it was the highway, and that's it. So he exhibited the tendencies, the characteristics of a classic coach of the 1950s and the 1960s. Yeah. He did have trouble adapting at the end of his career to all the changes going on in society and whatever. And sadly, he died before you know, he, you know, he really was able to enjoy his 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 victories. And that, and that's I think part of his myth and part of his legend. You know, Belichick is seventy years old. He's still coaching. You know what I mean? Can you imagine if Lombardi coached till he was seventy? You know that kind of thing. So uh, I think each coach was the best in their era. I don't think anyone's going to duplicate Belichick in the future. I really can't see that. That's my opinion, you know. And I think Belichick just yeah. wants one more ring, and he's going to follow. That's my gut feeling. He wants to prove to the world he can win without breathing. Yes. So I, I think he wants to be out of Shula. Like, I, you I think, think he, he wants, wants more wins than Don Shula. Yeah, I, I think that he'll retire after he passes him. It's like if he averages, I think, eight over the next four years, uh, he'll pass Shula. So I think that's what he's I – th- I think that's the goal now. I don't know. I think it says to me he, he, he wants one more ring and to show the world can win without Brady. I get that with the Shula thing. But, uh, you know, I, I just get that feeling with him. And, again, the man's – the man is a coaching genius. I don't, you know, I don't take anything away from that. I mean, he, you know, you talk about twenty football twenty four seven three sixty five, like me. He he is that times five. You know what I mean? He's he is out there. There's not a waking yeah, moment. Yeah, I agree. Not thinking of something. You know, some tactic, some change in a play, some slight yeah. movement of a player to get that advantage. That that to me is the is the beauty of football because it's a big chess match out there where you're battling in, you know, you're battling among 22 people, 22 men, trying to, again, just get that one more point score so you're victorious. That's what it's all about. It's about winning. You know, you can, you can feed 
me all the garbage you want about, you know, a good game or whatever. Unless you win, it, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. Don't tell me you lost the game. I don't want to hear it. You know what I mean? That's, that's right. just the way yeah, I feel I, about it. You know. I remember yeah. the story about Belichick a few years ago where they were playing. I can't remember what team it was, but, like, he had watched film and figured out that this one offensive lineman, if he held his foot, turned one of his feet a certain way, it was going to be a pass play or a running play, like that kind of attention to detail. I, I think that level of obsession, that's what's made him yeah. as good as he is. And and he would have been that good. Like, obviously you can't separate how good he was with how, how much Brady meant to the team because it, it took both of them at the height of their powers, but – I, I do think there was something special about both of both of them, you know. Yep. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't. I don't know what and happened. Brady's a great relationship. Brady's a great quarterback, so you know. Yep. It is. And I, I, I don't know what happened to that relationship. Still playing. You know why, why Brady decided to leave, but there, you know, you said you know, you know, Hoodie wants to prove he can win without Brady, and and vice versa. There's a reason you know Brady went somewhere else. It's you know, but the two of them, you know, it's like it's like the Beatles. Who's the better songwriter? You know, Lennon or McCartney? It's I don't I don't think they cared. You know, what eventually broke them up was you know outside, you know, outside sources. I mean, who, you know, who was the Yoko Ono of the Patriots that caused them to not re-sign Brady? Was it his contract? No, because they went out and got Cam Newton and paid him nearly as much, or well, about half as much. You know, I guess ten million bucks to a team that size. But I don't know. I mean, so Brady went off and proved it. Can he win without Hoodie? Obviously, he can at the highest level. I mean, and look how the look how the Patriots did for the next few years. It's it's tough, uh, you know. But there's a football card of John Unitas, you know, 1973 as a uh, you know as a Charger. Everybody, you know, everybody, you know, starts to lose their peak performance at some point. Uh, how, how many wins away yep. is, is Belichick from Shula? I, I actually didn't didn't even think about that. I I think it's something like thirty. Okay. It's it's close. It's like like I said, if he averages, I believe like eight for the next four or five years, he'll pass Shula. Yeah, okay. he'll pass. Well, he'll pass. I think it's. They didn't you know, do... And if he has a, has a really good season, he's that much further ahead. You know what I mean? Because he had. Yeah, that one really yeah. bad season that, that put him back. So, yeah, or whatever. Well, even that season, I mean, they went seven and nine. It wasn't like they went, you know, two and fifteen or something. They're not the Jets. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, they they didn't do very good at the draft this year. So we'll we'll, we'll see we'll see how they go. I, dude, I love the guy. I, I tip my hat to him. He to me is one of the, you know, you, is he the best ever? Different eras. It's like saying, you know, is Tom Brady better than, you know, Bart Starr? It's different eras. They're, they're, they're both incredible in their era. You know, that's it. Uh, you know, to me, there's only one indisputable goat, and it's Jerry Rice, although Tom Brady is certainly up there. In today's, you know, penalty-happy, you know, put bubble wrap around the quarterback era, Tom Brady's racked it, you know. So uh, yeah. I think we're, I think yeah. we're seeing the best of the best. But, but anyways, well. I think we got a little too cere- cerebral on my quiz. Usually I'm funny, but we, you know, the only the only head to head the only head to head thing that we've had has been that Super Bowl. So a couple of my questions revolved around that. So, but, well, well done, Jason. I'm going to give you a 75 percent on that. Yeah, I think you did pretty good. All right, fair enough. I'll take it. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. As we're winding down, Thanks, winding, uh, winding down the winding on the show, one more question for you: Any advice for a beginning, beginning collector in our hobby? Um, I, I think, uh, like I, I think I said this the last time I was on, and I think it's still true. Just you know, collecting to make you happy. Don't don't worry so much about value. Uh, if you turn it into, uh, if you're just chasing dollars, it's not going to be as much fun. Just collecting to make you happy and and that you love and. That's how they enjoy it. Sounds great. Good advice. Good advice. Joseph, thanks for being on the show tonight. It was great catching up thanks. with you on your collection. Good luck on your, your new areas you're collecting. I'm sure uh, you'll have more than enough cards to try to find, especially if you're going into the 90s and uh, 
the turn of the century <laughs> cards up to today. I mean, uh, there's just so many cards out there. It's not even funny. It's crazy. Oh. Truly crazy. Thanks again, guys. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. We're back. We've got a few minutes left. And uh, first thing, again, I will reiterate, if you're not a subscriber to Gridiron Greats Magazine, what are you <laughs> waiting for? Check out our website, gridirongreatsmagazine.com. Two-minute warning wrap-up. Hand off to you. What would you pick up on tonight's show? Man, I thought my I thought my questions were pretty good, Bob. But all right, They're, we got a little too cerebral with them. Who is the best coach in NFL history? Yeah, especially when I'm putting two of the greatest up against, and uh, we have two super fans on each side of that. Uh, so I guess my two minute takeaway is, man, I tip my hat to the the greatest publisher that I know, Gridiron Greats, Bob Swick. Uh, well done on '76. Can't wait to see what 77 is. I'm working on an article for that. Uh, I'm really reinvigorating my my writing. It's kind of funny. I, you know, I, I kind of try and go for that, you know, three pager, and uh, I, you know, reading like you know Martin Jake was mad and you know etc. I'm like, okay, maybe I should you know elaborate a little bit. So I'm gonna play around with that a little bit. That'd be great. That'd be great. The um, the oddball area of football cards, in my opinion, is still well overlooked in the hobby. It's still misunderstood in the hobby. And again, I've, you know, we've written about so many different sets over the years. Uh, you know, there's just a, a wealth of knowledge on them that you're not going to get in your, your big Beckett book if you buy it every year. And you're going to find out and see if there's a favorite team or favorite player featured in that. And, you know, in your case, the Fred Meyer Seahawks, great example. If you're a Seahawks fan, yeah. it's a no-brainer. You should be collecting all the, you know, the Orwe, the uh, Fred Meyer, the Nollies, all those cards and all those individual team sets. Those are great sets to collect. Great addition to, to a person's collection, uh, even if you're not a Seahawks fan, if you're a general collector. Uh, those are great cards, great cards to collect. I enjoy them. Yeah. Jason's got a great great collection. I love his bird talking about Brady. Uh, a couple other Brady fans that I know, collectors, always say it's weird collecting them in the Bucks uniform, but they can deal with it and they can collect them, and uh, they do. So that's a good part. We, a, but, we, yeah. we, all, we all have to realize that with our favorite teams. I mean, you know, he brought up, and I diverted the question, but Russell Wilson, you know, what do you think of the Seahawks without Russell Wilson? It's tough. You're one of your favorite players, the class act, you know, intelligent yep. guy brought us a Super Bowl ring, shipped off to Denver. And time will tell, you know, if, if he's Herschel Walker or, you know, if, you know, I mean, who knows? It's, uh, you know, yep. Yep. It'll, it'll be tough. I mean, it's, it, I, I hate seeing it go, but, you know, at some point. Well, I, yeah, anyways. The, yeah, we'll the way see. I look. The way I look at it, I'm preparing for life after Rodgers, and the way I feel about it, and you know, I, you know my feelings on it. For that kind of contract he got, they need to win the Super Bowl. If they don't win the Super Bowl, the, to me, the season's a failure. And you know, a lot of people come down on me and say, "Well, you can't say that. You can't say that." I said, "No, I'm going to say that. You want to be the highest-paid professional football player, then you better perform on the field, and you better not have another day like you had last season in the championship game." where you look yep. stunned and you got the deer in the headlight look again. And I've seen that way too many times with McCarthy when he was a coach. I saw it with Favre, and I'm seeing it with Rodgers and LaFleur. Uh, and I don't like it, and I, I'll say it, you know. I'll criticize it. You know, you want to be the best man, you want to be the highest paid, you better win. That's what it comes down to. No excuses. I don't hear any, any excuses this season. All right, we're almost out of time. Uh, final thoughts, Joe. Uh, great show, great magazine. Congratulations, Bob. Thank you. It's uh, it's a uh, a work of art we try to put together four times a year. It's a lot of work. Brenda and I. I'm lucky. Brenda does my wife. Brenda, in case you're not aware of it, does all the layout of the magazine. It's a lot of work, and we and we try to strive to uh, to be the best small publication out there. When it comes to football memorabilia. We're out of time. Thanks for listening. We'll be back hopefully next week with another show. Take care.
Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.